Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Hit your money goals without switching platforms. Download SoFi's all-in-one super app for industry-leading APY. Great loan rates and stock trading. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank, NANMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome to our Monday edition of On the Tape. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined by Liz Young. She is the head strategist over there at SoFi. What is she going to do, Guy, in all-in-one app? Well, I mean, get your money right in all-in-one application. That's one of my favorite taglines out there as we currently you know, sit here in 2023, Dan Nathan. That's right. Well, that's Guy Adami. Liz, how are you this morning? I am wonderful. Yeah, our marketing team is on it. We are going to all get our money right all in one app. We got a lot to, to go over for this week here. So the S&P was down a, a few consecutive weeks. It kind of gave back half of the gains. I think at its highs this year was up nearly 10% or so. Now we're up, uh, the market gapped up. This is Monday shortly after the opening, about 1% or so. So we're up a little more than 5%. So that was the headline. You know, we, we're going to talk about some kind of dueling strategist calls about kind of what they think of the earnings recession and what we think, you know, how market sentiment valuations kind of catch up to maybe where some of these bearish strategies think earnings are going. We also have a lot of Fed speak guy, your guy from Minnesota uh, over there at the Fed. He speaks twice this week. Um, your boy, who, who would that Cash- be, Dan? That would be Neil Kashkari. But we have also a lot of earnings. So we have a bunch of retailers um, and we have a bunch of SaaS companies this week and a few in the energy patch. So we're going to get through um, all of that. Liz, what is top of your mind as we enter the trading week here? This is a week also that normally... The first Friday of every month, we get the all important jobs data. Usually, you're one on one of those. You're on one of those eight panels on the Squawk and Friends. Usually, as the data is coming out, so you're gonna have to wait until next week. Why is that? Why is it not um, coming March? Why is it coming March? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I I really don't. The only thing I can imagine is because February has fewer days than other months, and there was a holiday. I I don't know. Maybe they need some more time to get it together. But we're we're not getting it this time. You know, it's also it's my dad's birthday on Friday. So Stop it! Why. They're just going to take a break. You know, it's my dad's birthday on on Wednesday, March first. Wow! 
Yeah. Will you give him a shout out if you're on like uh, the uh, IC that day? Or no? I uh, yeah, I I am not on the IC that day, but of course I'll give my dad all kinds. Guy, of can money. we arrange something like that? Maybe Absolutely. her dad is, is probably I've, more. Listen, of a, he's probably more of a fast money guy than a halftime guy. No doubt about it. I will. I know folks want to hear us <laughs> opine about the markets, but I have told EY from SoFi a number of times. I want her dad to come on one of our market calls and one of our on the tapes just to riff. I think we would have. I can't even tell you how much fun I personally would have, but that's, yeah, you, know, you know, that's what? me. Fun fun fact about my dad, huge baseball guy. I mean, uh, even th- he coached basketball, but huge baseball guy. He has a baseball card collection that is so good. It's in the will. My sister <laughs> and I will get it. And I mean, there's like rookie cards in there. And, you know, it's back in the day when he used to just buy bubble gum or whatever and you got them for free. But he happened to end up with a bunch of really good cards. So they're like in safety deposit boxes. You know, they're in their little plastic case. I love that. Which yeah. means, by the way, that you will get those cards because in that family of sisters, you and your sister, you are the alpha without question. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's a story. This is a Milwaukee sports story. This is how what we would call a, a nice little segue here. Mark Lazary of Avenue Capital, a great dude. Um, he was part of the ownership group that bought the Milwaukee Bucks back in 2004. 14 for 350 million dollars he is reportedly this is espn saying this uh he is in a deal to sell his stake at a three and a half billion dollar valuation guy talk to me a little bit about this this is pretty astounding do you remember i think around the same year Steve Ballmer, who had recently left Microsoft as the CEO, paid $2 billion for the Clippers, and people thought that was absolutely insane. How is it that a little backwoods team in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, can be valued at $3.5 billion? That is the second largest value in NBA history. Ten-bagger, as they say. Well, scarcity factor is one, and I think people underestimate the importance and the appeal of the NBA, not only in this country, but Globally, the NBA is one of the most popular sports out there, so it makes a lot of sense to me. Plus, they probably have the best player in the NBA. He's not going to win the MVP award this year, but he's a freak, and actually they call him the Greek freak. The guy is ridiculous. I actually saw him play against the Knicks a couple years ago, and just watching his pregame warm-up, of course, that's Giannis. I can't pronounce his last name. Maybe EY can help me. So it makes a lot of sense. And there are only so many teams in the NBA. So, it, it, you know, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And the scarcity factor of these things and the vanity purchases they are for wealthy people across the globe, it just makes a lot of sense. And you're going to continue to see valuations, I think, go higher. I, I don't know necessarily what's going to stop because, as Mark Twain said about real estate or land, they don't make them anymore. I have maybe a dumb question. Does inflation have anything to do with this? Like, are we going to see... Do you see sports teams going for more when inflation is high and less when inflation is low? I don't know. I've never bought a sports No, that's team. a fair. Listen, I think that's fair. I think inflation's got definitely has something to do with it. You just think about the um, revenues they're going to get from their fan base. I mean, Dan goes to games a lot, and we're going to actually go to a game this Thursday, I believe, at the uh, world's most famous arena. That would be Madison Square Garden. I guarantee you the prices for alcohol, burgers, roast beef sandwiches, shrimp tacos, lobster rolls, whatever the hell people buy are through the roof. Now, I will let you know in case you're wondering, I'm one of these people that does not get out of my seat. I don't sort of meander around and buy a beer with my buddies because that's not my want to do. I'm there to watch the game. 
but there are people there to buy things and the cost of the goods associated with that are through the roof guy gets mobbed at places like msg that is your oh, yeah. demo guy yeah it is they don't like want the, the dad joke they want uh, yeah they do um yeah really quickly on that point about inflation i think it was really simple we saw this during the pandemic right when you had all of these people um with you know tremendous wealth and interest rates at zero they keep getting pushed out on the risk curve so things that they might not have been able to do one of the things that's unique i think about buying these teams you can't do it with leverage and so when you see other billionaires getting cash on cash returns like this in such a short period of time i think it's one of those things so not a dumb question whatsoever and if you think about over the last few years with inflation you know going to levels we haven't seen in 40 50 years everything that wasn't bolted down that was scarce um was acquired at you know 2x 3x that sort of thing so um you know what we see in a moderating inflationary environment where the out you know the outlook for consumer spending to guys point for ticket prices and all this stuff related to it it really is though this is about it's about tv rights it's about international expansion all that sort of stuff so will you just give us Liz, one more time will you give us the uh Giannis, uh pronunciation because you are a native of Milwaukee and you must be very happy that uh, Mark Lazary and his team were able to bring the first championship in 50 years in 2021 yeah, to Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, it's Giannis Atanakumpo. Wow. That's I pretty good guy. I a lot <laughs> a few years ago, but I got it finally. Look, I think anything that comes out of Wisconsin is positive, is a surprise to people. And that's part of it, right? I mean, we had this little sports team, this little basketball team for a long time that, and and you know what else? Marquette, really good this year. I think they're a number one seed in the Big East. So we're killing it. We are absolutely you. It you just said it, guy. The Big East, which are 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 lowly Hoyas. I mean, they're really your lowly Hoyas. You actually were were a student at, at Georgetown University the last time they won an NCAA championship. The, the Big East is not what it was back no. then. Let's just say and that. Before we get on to markets, I encourage yeah. all the listeners out there to watch Requiem for the Big East uh, on ESPN. It's unbelievable, and I will tell you, if you look closely, you might be able to catch a glimpse of G Swizz as an undergrad at the aforementioned Georgetown University. Really? The, the Big East tournament is coming to that same arena that you mentioned next week. It'll be at MSG. I'm going on Friday. Hopefully Marquette wins in the first round. So they're Of course you are. Me. I mean, of course, you're everywhere. I mean, we got to get on with it, Dan. I know. No, but <laughs> yesterday, last night around 5 p.m., I'm sitting watching the Ranger game. This is my want to do. And I see EY posting a picture on the west side you know, somewhere on the west side, a beautiful shot, by the way. It looked like you were the only person, like you were like Snake Plissken or something, escaped from New York. Yeah, I timed. I was I was out for a long, lovely walk on a clear, beautiful New York evening, and I snapped a shot. It was like the one lucky time that I turned into a photographer. So I had to post it. Really proud. Well, hopefully it goes viral here. All right, let's talk about a couple sort of dueling bearish strategist calls here. I think it's pretty interesting. Mike Wilson, he is the CIO over at Morgan Stanley, friend of ours, friend of the pod. Um, you know, listen, Mike's, Mike's take, and he was very right for all of 2022 now, is that we're going to have an earnings recession. When you think about where S&P earnings consensus is for 2023, it's still expected to be up maybe near that kind of $230. You know, Mike thinks that March is the, the month. We've seen this kind of plateauing of earnings estimate cuts, but he thinks that those start to accelerate and the market starts anticipating the ahead of time. On the flip side, we have David Rosenberg, who's also been on our pod a bunch, and, and Guy and I are big fans of Rosie, and he's been right. But he actually thinks something very interesting. He thinks the Fed is totally overdoing it on the rate 
increases or at least the higher for longer narrative. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the Fed speak because there's a lot of speakers out this week and Lori Logan at the end of the week here. And so we're going to hear this, I think, all week. So, Guy, I'm just curious when you think about Rosie's basically saying, listen, man, you know, a lot of the inflationary readings they've have come down here and the Fed's going to overdo it and they're going to basically force that sort of recession that you've been talking about when you said that is the desired outcome. Mike just seems to think that a lot of this is going to happen on its own, I think, just just basically in the normal course of the cycle where we haven't really felt the lag effects of the rate increases or quantitative tightening. Yeah. And I, I agree with Rosie to a point, but this is what I'll say sort of to take the other side. I think if this Federal Reserve were to basically message that they're done or there is a chance that you see these rate cuts at the back half of the year, I think the commodities and the the things that make up inflation readings are going to get back on their horse once again. And actually, matter of fact, Dan, you said it a couple of weeks ago that you thought inflation could reaccelerate this year. So yes, they're probably, they, the Fed are probably being ultra aggressive here, but I think one, they don't want to make the same mistakes of the early 1970s. And two, I think they understand intuitively that if they take their foot off the gas here, the inflation that everybody seems to think is under control is just going to sort of reassert itself. So I think they have a problem here. And I think that last couple inflation numbers that we've seen illustrate exactly that. Well, not only would inflation come back, I think just the market would come back, right? Financial conditions would ease across the board because people would think, oh, we're done. We finished it. It's over. And we're in this place in the cycle where the economic data is still coming in okay, right? It's it's not necessarily signaling, at least the, the coincident data, as we call it, the stuff that's happening in the moment and the lagging data is still signaling that things are pretty good. So if they pulled back right now, I bet equity markets would rip. We'd see financial conditions ease again. And that is actually not what they want to happen. And in a time when I think we talked about this last time, services inflation is still accelerating. And that's a problem. So I think they have no choice but to continue talking about being aggressive, staying higher for longer. Now, look, there's one thing, though. I used to I worked for a guy for a while. He was our chief economist. He used to work at the Bank of England. And something that he taught us was that central bankers are very bad at predicting what they're going to do in the future. So they have to stay on this narrative for now. I don't know that it ends up actually working out that way. I, I Listen, I'm with you 100%. And I think that's been true. And, and my sense is they're sort of flailing to a certain extent. But also say this to their credit, I think Jerome Powell's done an excellent job of messaging what they're attempting to do over the last nine to 12 months. So I give him, in terms of messaging, I give him high grades. In terms of their overall performance over the last 15 so years, I, I, I give them a failing grade. And I think they're trying to extricate themselves from the problem that they created over the last 20 or so years. That's going to be problematic. You know, you said this the other day, Liz, I was watching you, I think, on Squawk Box, you said something like, I'm hard pressed, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm hard pressed to believe that with all these rate hikes with balance sheet reductions, you know, we're just going to go happily along our way. Something by definition has to break. You didn't use that term, I am, but I'm paraphrasing something you said, and it resonated with me because I think you're exactly right. Yeah, that was my, I dropped the mic on that one. That was my my finishing line. It, it basically, it was just, and I do this a lot. I, th I think about what do I think a headline is going to look like in six months, right? About today. And what I was saying is I find it really hard to believe that we're going to see a headline towards the end of this year that says, Fed raises rates 500 basis points and we all live happily ever after unscathed. 
I just don't think that's possible. It's the fastest rate that they've raised rates in however many decades. We've got inflation at the highest it's been since I was born, right? Like, it just doesn't seem plausible that we get through this and have whatever anybody's calling this landing on the other side uh, with no bruises, bumps, or scrapes. Yeah, I mean, and that is a sort of soft landing scenario. You started out this conversation, Liz, by saying the economy's still pretty good. And and that's the problem that the Fed sort of has right now, especially with inflation that's come down a lot year over year, but still very elevated on a multi-decade sort of level. And, and again, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, we've been talking about the potential for you had this reversion back to the mean. It is lower left, upper right as far as inflation over this, you know, last couple of years or so. Um, but now some of the things whether they be geopolitical, whether they be deglobalization, some of the disconnects that, you know, just this realization of supply chains as a matter of national security. I mean, all of this stuff is going to be inflationary. So the, the, the idea that we might see an uptick towards the back half of this year at some point um, is the sort of thing that keeps the Fed kind of bit. I mean, a lot of Fed fund futures, I mean, the CME Fed tracker, which we track every week, you know, was, was predicting cuts by the end of this year. That's not happening. I just want to make one other point, though, because it really does come back to valuations at least the way we think of it um, with stocks. This is our main man, Butters, from Factset. This was in his earnings insight blog guy Friday afternoon. The forward 12-month P.E. ratio for the S&P 500 is 17.7. is below the five-year average of 18.5, but above the 10-year average of 17.2. That's for the forward here. So I guess it comes back to when estimates start to get cut and if they do aggressively, you know, that multiple is going to look a lot different. And the fact that's hanging around, it's and your average right here on a forward basis to Liz's point about those 5% increase in Fed funds at the fastest pace in which it's ever happened. You know what I mean? That something's got to give right there. That That's the thing. That's the math equation that doesn't work for me with the stock market in and around 4,000 in the S&P 500. No. And and why, why should you pay an historic market multiple in an environment where things are clearly slowing or things will continue to slow? in a rising interest rate environment, when that E part of earnings, I think, continues to decelerate. So David Tepper came on the network a couple of months ago, and he spoke of a market multiple troughing somewhere around 11 and a half or 12. He said, listen, I'm not suggesting we're going back there. But listen, historically, we have seen levels like that. And I think in this environment, you know, a 15 multiple is reasonable, 16 as well. It makes sense to me. And with declining earnings, you know, what's that E going to be? Um, and we're going to talk about the yield curve in a sec because that's getting precarious close to that 1% level. But all these factors to me don't necessitate or not commensurate with a market that should be trading where it's trading in terms of valuation. Right. And it's not even just about the dollar amount of earnings, right? Think about what does the stock market do? It discounts the forward opportunity, right? It discounts the the price that we could pay today for earnings in the future. Well, what does it discount them at? It discounts them at the risk-free rate. That 10-year average in the PE, so even if we were right on the nose of the 10-year average, think about what the last 10 years has been. Five of those years were spent at zero rates. The average 10-year treasury yield, so I'm using proxies for the risk-free rate, zero rates for five of those years. The average 10-year treasury yield over that period was 2.1%. That's just not the environment we're in today. So you're discounting not only the lower dollar amount revised downward in earnings, but you're discounting it back at a much higher rate, no matter which rate you're choosing. And it just, this multiple just doesn't make sense. 
All right, so Guy, you started that conversation, I think, with a rhetorical question about valuations and why should you pay such for this and that, given this, that, and the other thing. You know what? I'm going to answer – well, I'm not going to answer that question. We get this kind of comment a lot from readers. Why don't you bring on a strategist on just your views? You know, we have – the three of us here have definitely been bearish. You throw in Danny Moses on our Friday pod and what are we doing uh, with Demo, with Vinny and Porter, also very bearish. I will say this. It's really hard to find a bullish strategist right now. I mean, that's just a fact. Well, we found one. We, we found you know one. What? Can I drop this here? Is that yeah, what they call ahead. it? Yeah, can they I call tease it dropping this it. out? Yes, in your favorite it, it podcast. Is, listen, it's easy to find one. It's it's difficult to find a man or a woman that is reputable in doing such. But I think we have uh, found said person, and he comes in the form of Tom Lee, and he will be with us this week, our podcast, the On The Tape podcast with the aforementioned Danny Moses, which drops, I just like saying that, each Friday. Dan, you can find it in your, wait for it, favorite podcast store. Or or I hear this every once in a while, or where you find your favorite podcasts. So that's another one. You know what I mean? So that, yeah, that, I, I, I listen, I've heard it. And then, you know, obviously, guys, if, if you're thinking about all this and you're in that podcast store, smash the subscribe button, follow us, leave a review. We really appreciate There's it. There's something, and, and listen, when you say can, that, by the way, it, you say that I'm a creepy old man. When you say smash the subscribe button, that's, there's, it just... It's haunting to me. It's like, yeah, Horny it's just is better than creepy. You know what? Uh, my, our friend Tommy Vitor says that over on Pod Save the World, Pod Save America. I love it. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. I want to hit this this morning. There was durable good orders out. Um, our friend Peter Bookvar writes the book report, also a CNBC contributor, had a note out. I thought this was interesting here. He said, notwithstanding the beginning of the year lift in core CapEx, capital spending trends, 
will be really interesting from here because it really follows the direction of cash flows. And at least for earnings, those are now declining year over year. Okay. So like when you think about some of these numbers and, you know, again, I mean, the Fed is obviously very focused on a lot of these inflationary readings, but when you see, you know, earnings declines, cash flow declines, that will ultimately lead to CapEx declines. We've also seen some major large tech companies cutting, you know, their workforce. But if we see CapEx after that, right? So these are the sorts of spirals that you want to keep an eye on because that would be the quickest way for S&P earnings to be ratcheted down from whatever, 225, 229 consensus down to 200 bucks at some point mid-year. Liz, thoughts thoughts on some, like tracking some of this data on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? Yeah, look, so back in the day, durable goods was something that we watched really, really closely. Everybody talked about it. And now we're so obsessed with technology being the biggest part of our economy. Me, which it is, but durable goods are still really important. And just think about like, you know, I have a I have a degree from the University of Common Sense. So think about what happens just in your own household, right? I don't have to think very hard about whether or not I'm going to buy bounty paper towels versus the generic brand paper towels. Bounty's far superior. The yes. Quicker picker upper. But if I have to decide whether or not I'm going to fix my washing machine or buy an entirely new set, and I'm worried about how much money I might have in two months, I'm going to fix it instead of buy an entirely new set, right? That's durable goods. So if durable goods are coming down, if people are making fewer big ticket purchases, they may not be completely abandoning them, but they're at least pushing them off into the future to say, I'm just going to wait and see how this goes. That's a signal. And it's one of those leading signals that people are calling the soft signals, right? But you know what? All these soft signals continue to say, People are not all that confident. They're they're not feeling as good about the future as they are about the today. That's exactly right. And I think one of the reasons the market, at least for now, is higher is on the back of that number because I think the part I shouldn't even say the participants. I don't even know if that exists anymore. But whatever algorithm or machines pick these things up, I think the thought is that hey, wait a second, things are softening means the Fed is going to be in play to lower rates at the back half of the year, like a lot of people think. And we're going to front run that. So they're now, to a certain extent, at least today, it appears as though, I don't want to say bad news, but softening economic data is actually good news for the market. All right, let's hit a couple things. Let's talk about earnings because there's a bunch of them. We just highlighted it um, today, you know, after the close. And I mentioned this guy on Friday's pod, um, Zoom reports. And I think this is kind of an interesting one, not because it's that important of a company, but from a sentiment standpoint, we've seen a lot of these companies that really benefited from kind of the work from home and all the the, the trends that we've seen um, during the pandemic with pull forwards of certain behavior. You know, they've been like overly punished here, right? I mean, and, and when I say overly, um, you know, may, maybe it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I mean, at one point, this thing was trading an evaluation that made no sense. When, when you just hear all this talk about a four-day work week and, and all these companies here, especially in the U.S., are having a hard time having workers get back to the office. Zoom is really interesting to me because, you know, we were talking on Friday's pod about the default rates in commercial real estate. And you would think on the flip side of that, right, like a Zoom might benefit from that, right? You know, like, and we really haven't seen that. And so just from a sentiment standpoint, guy, do you think names like that are kind of interesting that way overshot to the upstart started correcting in like late 2020, early 2021. And I would also mention that this stock's rally off of the low, given how much it was down from its highs, I think at 1.90%, it's been pretty anemic. It's up less than 20% for the lows. I mean, I think the stock is trading 74 and change. I think we bottomed out at 63 and change, which by the way, oddly enough, was probably the same lows that we saw back, I, I want to say like December, Jan, December of 19, January of 2020 or so, just for context. 
also was a stock that I think if it didn't trade up to six hundred dollars, it got damn close in the fall of twenty twenty. Again, not that that's anything. To answer your question, though, I think people still look at it for sure. I'm not necessarily gonna. I don't think you're doing this either. Put the broader market on the back of Zoom's shoulders, but it tells a story about certain stocks and things that got caught up sort of in the euphoria of the market that have come back down to earth. And I think there is more room to run on the downside in a lot of these names. So does that speak to market sentiment? I'm not sure, but it's something you absolutely have to keep your eye on, Dan. Very close, though. This thing has a great balance sheet, $22 billion market cap. They have $5 billion in cash and, and no debt, and they actually make money. They make a lot of money, $4.5 billion in expected revenue this year. You know, these are this is now, it's not growing. You know, the, 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 the issue is the growth, right? So this is at best maybe a 10% revenue grower, earnings growing, you know, 10% a year, but it is very profitable. So at some point when you think about, um, you know, clearer skies for some, you know, M&A, this is a, you know, like I said, an enterprise value of $16 billion. Remember when Salesforce, we're talking about Salesforce in a second, you know, uh, purchased Slack for $26, 27000000000 billion, unprofitable company. So you could see this Zoom product being part of a larger platform, make a lot of sense. If this thing were to head back towards those lows on, on disappointing guidance, it might be something um, worth looking at. Liz, thoughts on, on some of these stocks? You know, we often say, you know, how much a, a sector or a name is down from its all-time highs, but do you look at relative strength is important to you because we just mentioned how this stock has really given its beta it has not performed that well off the lows when you think about it at one point the nasdaq was up like 17 percent, 18 percent, or something like that last month i guess um thoughts on like relative strength how you're thinking about certain stocks that had big followings for a whole host of reasons and how they act relative to the market or their peers well, I think this is an an example of what worked, obviously, in a stay-at-home environment. And investors are doing this right in the sense of, yes, it's maybe it's a well-run company. Maybe a lot of those stay-at-home stocks are well-run companies and they were popular for a reason. The relative strength of off an all-time high when an all-time high probably didn't deserve to be there doesn't mean as much. The other thing that I think is important to remember is when you're investing, we talked about this with earnings, you're investing in a company. If I buy a stock today, I'm buying it because I want its growth potential for the next two to three years. I need to know what that growth potential is. Where is it coming from? And it's hard for, I think, some of these companies to show that because they're going to have to come up with new product lines, new revenue streams, new customers that they haven't already captured in order to show that growth. Otherwise, they're sort of, they've already matured, so to speak, in the space that they're in. Guy, we got to hit this one. Target um, reports tomorrow morning before the opening. The implied move in the options market is kind of fat. It's like 7%, $13 in either direction. What I think is really interesting about Target is obviously we heard from Walmart last week, the guidance that they gave. The big narrative was this sort of trade down and how that was benefiting from other consumers trading down to, let's say, a Walmart. When you consider their focus um, away from apparel, right, with food, you know, it's maybe like 50-50. They really benefited to some degree, but they gave lack luster commentary. I look at Target and this is one where, you know, you do that thing where you say this is something you want to bookmark. Last May, you bookmarked that quarter and guidance that Target gave and the issues that they were having with inventories. And it was really a canary in the coal mine, I think, for the retail sector. It had a massive gap. The stock was trading, I think, 215 and went all the way down to like 160. And since it broke that 180 level guy, it has yet to get above that when you look at that. So a really well-defined channel between 180 
180 and 140. But here's the issue. Valuation relative to Walmart, right? But it has come down. It looks about as reasonable as it has. And one of the things I'd say for some of these stocks that we talk about a lot, like a Target that have this premium multiple, at a certain point, when you start seeing them trading at a market multiple, and that means estimates have come down a lot and the stock has underperformed, maybe it's getting to a point on a relative basis to its peers that it can kind of come back. And I agree with you on valuation. And there's a, re- well, I know you know this. I know EY knows this as well. There's a reason why it trades at a sort of a tr- trough valuation or at a discount to Walmart. It's a product mix thing. And I think the market understands that. To your earlier point, I mean, I'll put a finer point on that. I mean, this was a 240 something dollar stock in the spring of 2022. I think it was in April traded from 240 basically to 137. I don't want to say in a straight line, but basically from mid-April until middle of June, uh, we saw that decline. And with that said, although the stock is trading about 170 now, it really hasn't done a whole hell of a lot over that period of time. It's gone from basically 137-ish, back to 170, back to 135. back. So it's been in this band. We're at the top end of the band now. I will tell you, I think you're flipping a coin here, but I don't think, my opinion, that they've gotten their inventory situation straightened out. If you look around the other retailers, it's clear that a lot of people are struggling. I'm hard-pressed to believe that Target figured it out. So we'll see. I don't know if the market's going to punish them to the extent that they did a year or so ago, but this is one, in my opinion, Dan, Brian Cornell absolutely needs to prove himself in a meaningful way. Otherwise, I think this stock continues to be sort of mired in this range. Yeah, and I mean, your point, I mean, this thing closed very near a 52-week low um, at just above 140 or so and touched that in late December. And by early February, it was just peaking its head up a little bit above 180. It's back here at 170. Um, so this is going to be a tough one. And I think you're right about the coin flip. Liz, based on some of the stuff that you heard last week, right? Home Depot, Walmart, there was some uh, Dollar General that was kind of really interesting. We had like a kind of wide swath of commentary from retailers and a whole heck of a lot more this week with Costco. It'll be really interesting too. Thoughts from what you heard from some of these companies and how you're thinking about consumer. I know we have consumer confidence later this week also. Yeah. I mean, the consumer hasn't shown stress necessarily in the data yet, but I think what CEOs are feeling is that the consumer continues to change its patterns. And here's the thing about retail, particularly the stores that you would go to uh, this is another common sense thing, the stores that you would go to on a weekly basis, right? Like Target or Walmart. Consumers can change their minds on a dime. Those companies have to model out their inventory and what they're going to put on the shelves and how much they're going to put on the shelves quarters ahead of time. They cannot react in time for consumers to change their minds. Now, where you end up with kind of an insulated or or a moat, right, competitively, is if you offer a product that somebody can't get anywhere else. I think that there's probably a lot of products in Walmarts and Targets and Home Depots and Lowe's and everything that you can get in a lot of different places. So consumers are going to be very price sensitive. There is a store. There's two stores actually in Wisconsin. I got to bring it back to Wisconsin just for a second that are called Farm and Fleet or Fleet Farm. And I'll tell you what you can't get anywhere else is the candy that they have. And anybody who's listening to this who's from Wisconsin knows exactly what I'm talking about. I don't expect either of you to know what I'm talking about, but they have this whole candy section up front and they are, it's just the best. They're the best little like gummy candies. Anyway, I would go to Farm and Fleet or Fleet Farm in the middle of a recession to buy that candy still. I'd drive far and wide. That And that speaks to a discerning consumer, which I think that's exactly the environment that we find ourselves in. I mean, look at what Walmart said about sort of the higher end customer coming down, I'll use that term, to shop at Walmart. It's part of that whole 
pastiche that EY spoke to earlier. I have a question for Elizabeth, if I may, Dan, quickly. Where is your podcast? No, it's, it's ours. It's the our, <laughs> it's the triumvirate. Um, you mentioned that you were a graduate of the University of Common Sense. You said that yeah. earlier. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's a couple of questions. Do they have a football team? <laughs> no. 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 So that means you That's were not, not a cheerleader a there. Sport. I mean, you run into each other, you purposely get hurt, you got to wear all this protection just to play a game. That's not common sense. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> barbaric. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, back to you. This is the one area I'm most focused on here. I want to see how investors react to some of these SaaS earnings. Salesforce reports Wednesday after the close. Also, Snowflake. I know we touched that uh, on the Friday pod, so I'm not going to hit that one, but I think that one has really underperformed relative to many of its kind of high valuation peers. And again, you know, this is a company that has expected $2 billion in sales. At one point, was trading 50 times those salespeople. That happened in 2021. Um, it's down a whole heck of a lot. But Salesforce is the one to me because, Guy, we, we haven't talked about this name in a while. There was a lot of turnover in the C-level suite. This was over the last couple of months. And this is a company that I, I think, interestingly, still trades at a fat multiple. It is a roll-up. And, you know, the multiple is interesting to me. On, on, on a gap basis, okay, this company is expected in 2024 to do maybe half of their gap earnings from two years ago. So just, which go, again, talking about the pull forward here, okay? And then when you're talking about issues about integration of large acquisitions that they've made and in the, in the, in, in how, you know, Brett Taylor, the co-CEO left and, and Stuart Butterfield, who was the CEO of, of Slack, and that was supposed to be a transformative. You know, this is one, this is a really crucial juncture, I think, for some of these companies. So talk to me about like what you're thinking about if even from a sentiment standpoint, because, and we're not going to dwell on this, but NVIDIA, I both, you know, we thought it was like, eh, you know, or a mat like quarter in guidance and the stock ripped. Are we in a, we're still in a market where it's like, as long as you don't shit the bed, your stock can go up because expectations are low. Yeah. Well, at my age, that's a lovely visual that I could probably do without number one. Number two, I think Salesforce is a different story. NVIDIA tells a great story. NVIDIA said, listen, don't focus on the declines we're seeing across a swath of our businesses, gaming, uh, to a certain extent, data center and those types of things. Focus on AI because we're at the forefront of AI and that's what you should be looking at. And that's the reason we deserve this premium multiple and the market's bought into it. So I think They've been able to tell a great story and make pivots along the way. That's the NVIDIA story. Salesforce is a little bit different. If the economy is slowing and there are fewer people in seats, that hurts companies like Salesforce.com almost by definition. You mentioned earnings are down about cut in half over the last couple of years. As it turns out, the stock has also been the cut in half club from November of 2021. Again, not coincidentally, yeah, not coincidentally when the Fed started raising rates to current levels we're seeing now-ish. Um, valuation is expensive. I mean, we've seen some disasters from Salesforce uh, over the last couple quarters and a company where nobody cared about valuation a year and a half or so ago, people are focused on it now, on top of which, if there are layoffs coming to their customer base, by definition, that has to hurt earnings seems like to Guy's point, they kind of haven't probably caught up with if you're licensing seats, right, for a lot of this kind of software as a service in an environment where the Fed is hell bent on getting that unemployment rate off of a 53 year low. Um, at some point, something's got to give, I think, in this space. 
Yeah. So semis are different than software and the market treats them differently too. So you got, I mean, enterprise software, if you're thinking about a company that buys software like Salesforce, right? Those contracts are stickier. So, and this is why semis are different than software. I think, I think software names can probably hold in there a little bit better just because of that. It's not as quick of a churn in, in their sticky revenue, so to speak. But I do think a lot of these names in the market probably get hit hard again if we get to a point where the market decides, you know what, oh my gosh, we are going into a recession. Because as I've talked about many times with you guys, what the market's pricing in right now is like a garden variety correction, not a recession. So if we get to a point where earnings are telling that story, particularly in software and semis, then it's going to have to kind of come to Jesus moment, right, where the market does correct. And obviously these these growthier names that have rallied into the year are going to get hit harder. Here's an anecdotal piece about semis. You know, the supply chain stuff has eased up. We're certainly in a very different position than we were many moons ago, which is great. However, I was at a car dealership late last week. I lease a car. I'm going to buy it at the end of the lease because prices have gone up so much, whatever. That's a different discussion. But the guy was telling me that even if I wanted to get a new one, we could order it today. I might have it in 12 weeks because they still don't have all the chips. They still don't have all the parts. To get something here from Europe takes even longer. 12 weeks is like six weeks longer than it should take, right? So it's not all solved yet. And it's still going to pressure things, I think, in earnings for the next few months, few quarters. Well, I'm going to have to have a conversation with uh, Enzo Ferrari because we're very close personal <laughs> friends. See what the hell is doing with your freaking car. I mean, come on. She's she's going to get her money right all in one car app yeah. there. Yeah. That would be a new lease, $150 more a month plus a few thousand dollars down. That's the difference. And it's the same car. The only thing that's different is the grill is new. You know, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. The prices are still high. Yeah, those grills on those Ferraris are beautiful. Um, all right, last thing here. Um, this is one that I've obviously very focused on March 1st. Um, Tesla's going to have their investor day. Um, this is one where uh, the bulls think that they're going to cure cancer um, at the event and they're going to announce it. And then it's going to be some sort of like AI uh, excitement and this and that, or whatever. And I'm sure he'll kind of try to push on, on some of those themes here. But I think the headline this morning, which got the stock up 5%, which seems kind of odd, is that you remember that recall about their full self driving software? Well, they basically pause the rollout of the SSD um, until there's a fix for that, but the stock gaps up 5%. So this is this is one where there's going to be some fireworks this week. Guy, the implied move in the options market between now and Friday's close is about $17, $16, $17 or so. Um, that's about a 7% move um, in either direction. When you think about a stock that like gaps up or down a couple percent each day and has a 4 or 5% range, that seems pretty fair. Thoughts here also, maybe just from a sentiment standpoint, because this is also one of those names that we've talked about a lot and we don't have to we don't have to sit here and hate on it. I don't think the whole heck of a lot's going to come out on Wednesday and maybe you see um, a sell the news. I'm certainly hoping for that with my positioning. Thoughts on, on how important this is for for the NASDAQ. So obviously a $16 move on a $200 stock is is meaningful and it pr gets us down towards levels if in fact we do sell off that I thought the stock should find a home at sort of this 165 level if you get an overshoot to the downside. And that makes sense for a myriad of different reasons if you look technically and and on the top end of things a 225 level um, was a level that a lot of people were flagging on technicals as well. Carter Worth being one of them. Now I will say without equivocation that when they went into their earnings release a month and a half or so ago, I think the stock was trading in the mid 150s. I was one of the people that said, you have to fade it here. We've seen basically a 50% move off the low. 
And I was hard pressed to believe they were going to say anything that encouraging. That was incorrect, obviously. But now you have to make the decisions on where the stock is trading now. And I think the next significant move is probably down. And with that said, I think it's a huge part of market sentiment. I think a lot of people take their cues historically from Apple. Uh, to a certain extent, Amazon has been in that camp. But now Tesla's in the top five of that list without question. Yeah, well, it is the sixth largest stock in the NASDAQ 100 with a 4% um, weighting there. So we will definitely um, be focused on that one. Liz, you will not be back with Guy and me until our market call on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find that in our YouTube channel i think on our youtube channel or just wherever yeah, at, at mrkt call you also find where it is anything any parting words for for our fine audience here before they oh hear good you luck again. out there <laughs> folks i mean i think you know last week was it was a rough week i still am betting that the vix spikes up in the next 30 days i think that the momentum has shifted in the market not decidedly so but i think the momentum has shifted and that some of the air came out of the balloons absolutely no pun intended but I think, you know, you. this is a time where, again, and I don't say this very often, this is a time where I think it's actually okay to sit on your hands a little bit because trying to chase it when we're in this kind of chopping around, is the VIX going to go up or go down? It, it, you're going to, you're going to be wrong more often than not. So I would, I would sit on your hands if you don't know what to do. If you really want something to do, uh, my final trade on halftime last Thursday, I believe was the US dollar. UUP, we buy it however you want to. I think in the short term, it probably sees, it continues to see strength. It was up pretty good on Friday. Guy, that, that dollar call is really important. And this was part of what, what, what Mike Wilson was saying is that if dollar and rates go higher, and right now we have the US dollar index, which is up a few percent off those recent lows, right? It got almost, I mean, it's, it's, it's 104.7, right? And, and I think it got as low as 101. That's a huge move for a dollar. And then also real quickly, because we didn't hit the yield curve, the 210 at 88 bips, guy, is that the wides that we've seen? Maybe it got to 90. Oh, so, so you have- at you well you have a two-year at 4.79 and then you have a 10-year at 3.92 almost and, and maybe that's about 88 and a half bips on, uh -huh. on, the, on the spread so talk to me because you know a rising dollar rising 10-year and a widening yield curve um not great for stocks right no, as I've said a thousand times, it's like that Taylor Swift ball, uh, song "Wrecking Ball." The the U.S. dollar going higher is a wrecking ball for earnings, and people have talked about that a number of times. And I think Elizabeth is spot on to say that the dollar is probably uh, the next leg higher. I've thought that as well. By the way, look at natural gas getting back on its horse. That's something that Carter talked about. I mentioned natural gas because, in terms of commodities for the industrial sector, it might be the most important input commodity they have. And that yield curve, which to your point is out to about 88, 89 basis points inverted, Dan Nathan, what TV show, what podcast, what web-based uh, show at 1 p.m. Eastern time has been talking about a yield curve with the potential to go to a 1% inversion? That's a question to you. Power lunch? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry, that yeah, would be no, the, that the would be the market that. call. The yes, that would be the market call. call. Find correct. it in your favorite podcast store or on our YouTube channel. Smash it. All right, EY from SoFi. That would be LY in my terms. Liz Young yeah, from SoFi. Thank you for joining. Can us. I before before we say goodbye to her? I just want to mention yeah. to the listening audience that the Bucks of Milwaukee, which we started this podcast yes, with, are now rattled off ten straight wins. They find themselves a half game behind the Boston Celtics for top record 
in the East. Very impressive run they're having without their big gun, who is sidelined for a couple more games. The Knicks of New York, I think, play the aforementioned Celtics tonight, I believe, at the magic world of Madison Square Garden. I may be incorrect. And by the time that EY comes on with us on Thursday's market call, the New York Rangers will have announced a deal for Patrick Kane to join their roster to fortify them as they make their push for Lord Stanley's Cup. And Guy might turn me into a Rangers fan by then. We'll see. We'll see. Anything is possible. Anything. All right, peeps. That was a lot of fun. We went a little long here on a Monday morning here, but hopefully we kind of got you equipped for the trading week here. We will see Liz back on Market Call on Thursday. You'll see Guy and I every Monday through Thursday at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Market Call. And this week, Tom Lee of FunStrat FS Insight is going to join us and tell Guy, Danny, and myself why we got... 2023 all wrong here. Um, So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, and SoFi. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.